I hope you're taking this really serious, what we're talking about right now. The title of this is uh, Together, because the whole book of Acts was God brought the church together. So the, the theme of that, so what he did as he did that, we did a week of introduction. I brought you through Acts kind of in reverse, and I showed you how God was working. And then I brought you last week about how God introduced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes that's, that whole subject scares us. I, I don't want it to scare us, okay? It should not scare us. If you are saved, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. We talked about the power of God and how God began to promise them this power. We're going to look at this this week and then we're going to introduce the power next week of what that looked like. The root word to that word power that he promised was that it meant to be able to be possible. You, you realize that everything that we've heard about in history about God bringing revival and God bringing change and God bringing uh, times that thousands of people were saved and everything, you say, well, I wish... I wish we lived back in the day that that happened. What happened back in the day is they had the Spirit of God inside them to make it happen. The same Spirit of God lives inside of us today, so the question is, why is it not happening? And I know this looks funny, but give me a chance and I'll illustrate here in a minute exactly what the Bible is talking about. But God gave them a promise. He said, I'll send you another comforter. Jesus said, I am going, but I give you God in you. I'm not just leaving you by yourself. You don't have to change the world. You don't have to raise your family. You don't have to create the church. You don't have to do anything by yourself. He said, it's a good thing that I go. We, we, we read that in John 16, verse 7. It's good that I go away because if I don't, the comforter won't come. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. It is God in you. It's important. He promised his presence with them. He said, for John, truly baptized with water, but I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit." Through his presence, you are saved. God takes us, washes us in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are immersed in Jesus Christ. He, he didn't just save some of you. He saved all of you. The Bible says we are sealed, written on our hearts. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's nothing that can change that. There's not a bad day or a bad word that you say that's going to change your ownership of Jesus Christ. You are sanctified. The Bible says you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which literally meant he pulled us out of the miry pit. He sat us on a rock, and God said, you are separate from the world. We're to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. If we're in the world, and we look like the world, and we act like the world, and we talk like the world, then something's wrong inside of us. Something's wrong. Sanctified. God consumes us. It's with a baptism, immersed immersed in God. God changes us from the inside out. If there's not a change, something is wrong. We talked about that, and I'll continue that thought today. So let me give you some background of where we're at now. Remember, for years and years, the children of Israel were waiting for the coming Messiah. He, he, would, he would be their conquering king. That's why when he was, behold, king of the Jews, and they wrote on the cross above him, behold, the king of the Jews, and they put that above, he was to be their conquering king. And so all Rome was like, oh yeah, here's your conquering king. And they were mocking him because that's who they were awaiting was the conquering king. But he came differently. He came as a baby. He was born among peasants and, and, and poor people. He was worshipped by shepherds. 
They, they, they were expecting him to set them free from the Roman rule. They didn't understand what was going on. But, but all, of, all of a sudden, something drastically went downhill when Jesus was crucified. And now they're mocking him. And people step back saying, well, it can't be the coming Messiah. That, that can't be this conquering king that's going to take and rule the, the kingdom of David. But then he came out of the tomb. You can imagine that the, the disciples are like, oh, my goodness, guys. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I tell you, he, 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 he's got to be that Messiah. He's got to be that conquering king. How, what's it going to look like? And they're like, I don't even know. What's he going to do next? I don't know, but I know he's going to establish his kingdom. So we get in this verse 6, and they're, they're talking about it. And you can imagine them nudging, saying, you ask him. I'm not asking him, you ask him. When they were there for come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will, I, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They, they were like, Lord, is, is this going to be it? Lord, are you going to put Rome in their place and Israel's going to rise back up and the king's going to get back in there? Lord, is this it? I'll tell you what, this relates to us a whole lot more than you think. See, they got so consumed with the kingdom that they were forgetting their purpose. We, we've got to be careful. I'm, I'm going to introduce Romans chapter 1 or, or uh, Acts 1.8 and that's where we're going to be kind of parking today. Sometimes we're so wrapped up in I'm going to heaven and I can't wait that we forget why we're here. Amen. Do you realize if God was ready for us to come home, we'd be home. And the fact that we're not home means that God has a, pl- a purpose for you. The, the, the very fact that we're not in heaven right now worshiping around the throne of God is because he said, I'm not done with you yet. Do your job. Do your job. Go, go do your job. I'm not done and Jesus said in Acts 1 7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, for the Father hath put it in his own power. He said, Hey guys, you don't, don't get wrong, don't get this distracted. He said, You do your job. I know what I'm doing. I'll come back and establish that kingdom. I'll, I'll take over. I'll do all that in my timing, not yours. And then he says this a verse that is filled with promise, a verse that explains your purpose. He, he, he said, I will return. He said, but I've given you jobs to do until I come. This verse changes everything. So we start off with our potential that he gives us. What I explained to you the other week about my car having that sport button, okay, that, that's what he's about to tell. You, your car drives normal, and in my car, I, I, I drove it for, for months not knowing that I had a button off to the side that I could push that button, and it changed the in, inside of my car to give it more power than what it normally had. God has given us the Holy Spirit that has this power. Every single one of us have all these things that we talked about, of being saved, sealed, and all these things, but we are dead without it. But in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, look at this, what he said about what he's about to give them. And I, w- I want you guys to get this because this is a very confusing thing. And I, I'm gonna, I want to clarify today so it's not confusing. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all, what's the next word? Filled with the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Saved, sealed, sanctified, set apart. They were but in Acts chapter 2, he says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I tell you, there's denominational differences, and there's people that, that there are, you need to be baptized, and all of a sudden you come out of the water different, and all this confusion. I want to explain this today. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to you once. You get sealed once, you get saved once, okay? That, that, that's not over and over again. 
but I want you to know and understand that the touching or the filling or the outpouring of God happens over and over again at different times and in different ways. I want to get this today because I want this. I can't draw it in a picture. I can't explain it because every time that God showed up, it would look different. But every time something happened that was big and powerful and life-changing, there are certain ideas or things that I've heard of growing up that I've never fully understood. This is one of them. If we're going to get real, real right now, I want you guys to put aside everything that we've been scared of the Holy Spirit. Let me introduce you to something. And you have to come back next week to get the second part of this concept. In the Bible, there is where the Bible talks about an anointing of God. Where God put his hand on a people or a situation or whatever, and God did something big out of the normal, dunamis power, miraculous power, to do what you normally could not do. It's real. It's in the Bible. There's times where the Bible has talked about a touch of God. I've, I've grown up and said, man, when I was a kid, that preacher got up and he had a touch of God. What does that mean? A touch of God. An anointing of God. How many of you have ever heard people talk about a service and they said, man, this and this happened and all of a sudden, God showed up? You know what the younger generation was like, what does that mean? God, God showed up? What, what, was God not there to begin with? Are we not sealed with the Spirit of God? Are we not the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? Then what was, what was different about the beginning of the service and the end of the service when God showed up? What happened there? I've heard these stories of revival. Let, let me just read a couple of them before you start thinking I'm crazy, okay? Isaiah 44, verse 3, and he talked about, I will pour out water upon them that are thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, literally the ones that are starving. And I, I believe that's America right now. We're in a spiritual drought. And then he promised this. He said, I will pour my spirit upon the seed and my blessings upon thine offspring. There, there was a, an illustration there of pouring. It was, uh, in Malachi talks about, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of like when you, when you don't have rain and all of a sudden it pours and it's, it's drastically different and everything that that water touches is drastically changed. And life comes and green comes and, and growth comes and everything. Not anything that we do, but because it had a touch of God that came suddenly out of heaven, not of man, not of manipulating, not of feelings, not of emotions, not of denomination, but a touch of God. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. A, a time where God came upon them. I, I, I read about Samson in Judges chapter 14, verse 6, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. As something, it was not that the spirit of God wasn't with us normally, but in that situation, mightily an outpouring, a touch, an anointing, suddenly to be able to do what he could not normally do. Ephesians 5.18 once again explains what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is talking about. What he promised, the potential in us. He said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. Now, people have 
use that to explain drinking and how far you can take it. When in reality, it's talking about the filling of the Spirit of God. You cannot be controlled. You, you're either going to be controlled by one or the other. And it talks about the wine and how you bring it into your body and it begins to take over and you begin to do stupid things. God said, there's another time. Why don't you be filled with the Spirit of God where I step into your life when I am filled. That, that word filled means to cram, to level up, to fill up. The word filled means to be overtaken by a power greater than your own. You say, I don't get that. I'll explain, but let me just get this. The potential of that is promised to all of us. If you are saved, you have God in you. Every one of us. I'm going to sit there and say, well, that sounds good, but I've never seen it. I've never had a touch of God like that. I've never been in a service like that. I've never seen anybody anointed like that. I've, I've... Now, now we need to get real. Now, now it's a matter of when he, he talks in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The power only comes when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. If the Holy Ghost is not coming upon you, there is no power. And I'll explain this as we go through. If there is no power, there's no witness. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You take out the power, you have no witness. You have no witness, we have no influence. I just explained the Church of America. We are here with the plug pulled out of the wall. It's not that we don't have the presence of God. It's not that I don't feel saved. It's not that I don't have that. But that outpouring, that touch, that anointing, that moving, it's a myth. So we got to get from the potential to the problem. The problem is we're not seeing it. The problem is we have Christian parents that don't have that touch of God. We have Christian pastors that don't have the power. We have we have churches without revival. We have churches in America that are closing rather than growing. I know I'm taking a long time to set this up, but I tell you, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is so quoted and so misunderstood. It's almost like I don't even want to read this to kids anymore. and just like, man, God promised after you receive the Holy Spirit, that the power of God will come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. And they're, 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 they say, dude, miss power, raising, raising that from the dead, power to change the world. And they're like, oh, are we done? Am I wrong? You know what I'm talking about? Come to church and we're just like, and there's, there's not a movement of God. It's not a touch of God. It's not where the Spirit of God is working so much that before the pastor can even get done, people are getting their hearts right and altars are being filled. And I've been there. I've seen it. I, I, I'm not saying this in theory. I, I, I've seen touches and glimpses of this. Ephesians 5, 9, and the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The evidence of the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, is in goodness. It's in righteousness. It's in truth. Okay, proving, showing, displaying what is acceptable unto the Lord. If it's not acceptable unto the God, Lord, God pulls his hands up and says, I'm not touching that. 
I'm not going in there. I'm I'm not going to put my hands on that life. I'm not going to anoint it. If it's not acceptable unto the Lord, there won't be power. He, He says, and have no fellowship. Have no fellowship. Listen, America, 2017, the age of entertainment, the age of cell phones, the age of technology, the age of all this stuff all the way around us. He said, have no fellowship. The word fellowship means to share company with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We can justify sin. We can justify immorality. We can justify bad entertainment. We can justify things coming out of our mouth. We can justify it all day long. But I'll tell you right now, the Bible describes it as unfruitful, unfruitful, literally meaning something that is unfruitful. Nothing comes out of it. Nothing good comes out of it. 2 Corinthians 6.14, it also says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If we're going to read through that, listen to these words that it talked about being together. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship? There's another one. We got yoked. We got fellowship. Hath righteousness with unrighteousness. They don't go together. Righteousness and unrighteousness, good and bad, don't go together. What communion is another word for fellowship? What communion or fellowship hath light with darkness? Three illustrations so far. What concord, what fellowship hath Christ with Belial or Satan? None. Four illustrations. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Five illustrations. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Six illustrations. Wrong and right do not mix. Idols and God do not mix. Holy and unholy do not mix. They don't mix. For ye are the temple of the living God, and I have said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I promise you this, I will receive you. Illustration, yoked, communion, fellowship, part with agreement, touch over and over and over again. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Spirit will not come upon sin. It will not share space with sin. It will not commune with sin. It will not fellowship with sin. It will not interact with idols. Will not, will not, will, I, 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 please tell me, have we accomplished that? <laughs> Do we get it? Not going to happen. Never, never, never. Let's say your life is a house. Okay? And God steps into your house. And he sits there and, and you say, Lord, come, come back into the back room of my house. And God looks in there and says, with all that trash in there? He says, you don't know me. I, I don't go in there. It's, it's kind of like us as Christians, if somebody invited me into a bar. And by the, la- by the way, last week I said something and I heard everybody was like, I can't believe you said that. I said, we could go to a bar and have church. I said barn, B-A-R-N. And everybody was like, wow, Pastor Tony, you're really branching out. I was like, barn, 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 you know, cows moo, you know, all that stuff. Anyways, clear the air. I'm not saying let's go to a bar and have church, okay? Just a lot of you are like, woohoo. <laughs> Just getting serious here. 
You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and God steps into your life and says, there's areas of your life, I'm just being honest, I'm not touching that. I'm not going in there, I'm not going to occupy that space, I'm not going to fill it, I'm not going to do it. The Bible tells us very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the Spirit. The Spirit of God can be quenched. Okay, we're, we're going to roll into our illustration this morning. So this is, this is a very biblical illustration that I'm going to show you this morning. Very biblical. The reason why it is very biblical, and I'm not just saying that, is because the Bible describes us as vessels. A vessel is an object, a pot or a piece of pottery that holds things. God said that you are in the flesh, but that flesh holds the Spirit of God. Now, I did this for the sake of illustration this morning to save time. But before you were saved, you did not have the Spirit of God. So I've already added the water. So for this sake of illustration, remember the water illustrates the Spirit of God inside of you. And I'm going to ask you guys in this illustration right here, is that vessel filled with the Spirit of God? Is it filled with the Spirit the word filled means to cram, to fill completely, to consume. Is this vessel filled with the Spirit of God? No. It's not. Does it have the Spirit of God inside of it? There's a difference. I can have the Spirit of God inside of me because He promised to come into me. I have all of the Spirit of God. I didn't just get part of it. I didn't just get saved or sanctified. I got everything. I have the Spirit of God inside of me. But this vessel is not filled with the Spirit. It's important as I do this illustration for you to understand, I'm going to keep filling this thing up, but you don't have to keep filling up the Spirit of God because God just, okay, you got, the Spirit of God just consumes and takes over in other areas of your life but I wasn't creative enough to figure that part out. <laughs> I want you to know that our God is holy. The Spirit of God is God, so therefore the Spirit of God living inside of you is holy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts, don't live like you used to in your ignorance. You say, well, I just didn't know it was wrong to do that. I didn't know it was wrong to look at that or go there or have that kind of relationship. I didn't know. I said, I know, you were ignorant, you were blinded, you didn't have the Spirit of God inside of you. But as he which hath called you is holy, the day you were saved, hey, Tony, you're going to go to hell, woke up, and I got saved, and the Spirit of God came inside me, and he said, that which is inside of you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of your conversation, not in part of your life, not on Sunday morning, not when you're worshiping, in all parts of your life, you are to be holy. Live holy, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. The only way to be holy is to remove that which is unholy. Think about this. The good news is, inside of your life, you have the Spirit of God, and He will teach you, He will guide you, He will convict you. So let, let's, let's go through and explain this. Even the verse that we read a lot, the Bible, the Bible says that He must increase and we must decrease. How does that happen? All these things that we talk about, 
So all of a sudden, I've got to search my heart to figure out what should not be there. I've got to search my life and realize the areas of my life that God is not stepping in and God's not controlling, and he can't. He can't because it goes against the very nature of God. God's not going to step into my mind if my mind is filthy. Do you guys get that? God's not going to step into areas of my ministry if it's perverted, if it's wrong. The Bible says to love the Lord the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. God wants all of you. When he has all of you, he can do the most with you. He has liberty to do what he wants because you're not holding him back. Now, don't get this wrong. You say, I hold the Spirit of God back. No, you quench it. The word quench means to extinguish the flame. There is a fire that can burn in your life, but you quench it with sin. When you curse, when you go out, when you're bitter, when you're mad, when you're angry, when you gossip, you quench the Spirit of God that's inside of you. It's what you do. And all of a sudden, the potential that is there is blocked by the problem in your life, which is sin, the old man that is resident there. Let's, let's just go. I, I we're going to run on time really fast. So, God, the Spirit of God living inside of you, looks at who you are and says to me, Tony, or to you, whoever you are, and says, Listen, I see pride in your life. Pride is the opposite of God. God was not prideful, God came humbly. He died on a cross, He was a servant. Pride does not work. For all you men in here that I got it all figured out, and I don't tell anybody that I did wrong, and I never apologize, and I, 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 God says, I'm not stepping in your mind. It's filled with pride. You sit there and say, well, I, have, I don't know why I never know what to say to my kids, and I, am, uh, I, I talk to my wife, and I end up sticking my foot in my mouth, and I go to witness to people, and I have no words to say. What's in your brain? Is it the power of God or is it sin? Because it is the power of God that has the capabilities to do anything. That's why he said to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, and might. So God looks at you during church or whatever, through the, the working of the Spirit of God, and he says that pride has to go because I could fill that area with my spirit, with power, with anointing, with the touch of God. But I'm not stepping into your perverted brain. And we get our heart right. And say, God, I struggle with my pride. God, I struggle with lust. God, I struggle with my attitude. And God says, can I take it? God gets it out and says, that looks nothing like me. It's not me. What happens all of a sudden in your life, the Spirit of God steps into your mind. Your worship is differently because it's not blocked by pornographic images. Your language is different because it's not sorted through garbage that you put into your brain. Your attitude to your kids is differently because all of a sudden it's the spirit of God in there and not that old man that was there before. God steps into your attitude and says, you are so negative. When people see you, when people see your life and they see that negative attitude and you're complaining all the time and you're angry and you're bitter... You sit there and rattle off and tell people to get out of your face and mind your own business and you throw up your middle finger while you're driving. God said, that's not me. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. All of a sudden, you say, God, change my attitude. Get it out of my life. 
Lord, help me. And the Spirit of God steps in with that power at a point of surrender and says, I can do more with you. I can change you. I can convert you. I can, I, I can wash you. That's what God does. Do you, do you see what's slowly happening here? Do you guys see what's happening? He must, what? And I must. There's a war in my life. You guys understand that there's always a war in my life. That's why we go through times uh, of revival. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh because they're contrary one to another. Just so you know how this works, where the church goes through revival and they're getting their hearts right and they're hearing preaching and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and things begin to happen. But all of a sudden you get out of church and you get distant and you start allowing the world and all of a sudden we, not that one, this one. Uh, <laughs> we bring crud back into our life that we once got rid of. Can I explain something? Are you still saved? Why? Because you're sealed, you're saved, you have the spirit of God living inside of you. It's not a matter of how much you have of him, but how much he has of you. But all of a sudden, God begins to work in your life. And God begins to take who you were out. That lust, that arrogance, that habit. God says, how are, how are people going to see you when you're constantly doing that and saying that and griping about that and that bitterness and that attitude in your heart and you're so bitter you're so bitter there's so, so much anger inside of you you're, you're so mad at everybody you can't go in the church without crossing your arms being upset about this and grumbling and rocking on the and God says I'm not that I'm kindness I am love, I am joy, I am long suffering that's who God is and all of a sudden when we Fight the flesh and we die to self and we confess our sin. You know what confessing is? That's what confessing is. Get it out. Help me get it out. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to take over all those areas of your life. And God is in your mind and God is in your heart and God is in your might and God is in your actions and God is in your attitude and God is, all of a sudden something begins to happen and they look at you and those people at work turn around and they look at you and say, wait a minute, you look different. I've noticed something about you, you act different. Man, you're not all worked up about politics all the time and man, you used to cuss like crazy. Man, you used to run your wife down all the time. You used to talk so perverted, man, that I get uncomfortable. Man, what? You look different. What's different about you? And all of a sudden, we realize what God promised. We, we, we go from the, the potential inside of us to the problem inside of us to our purpose. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now listen to this. And you say, now what? Watch what happens. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. You realize no filling, no power, no spirit, no witness. Do you get that? If this is the church and this is what they see, no revival, no touch, no movement. No altars fills, no converted. Because people are going to walk up and look at you and say, you're no different than I am. Why would I want that? 
But all of a sudden, now they see the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit of God. The word witness means just to bear witness. It literally means to be a reflection of. All of a sudden, your people that get around you say, I don't know what he has, but I sure want some of it. And they're never going to do that with all the sin and the garbage inside of her life. That will never be the thing. She'll be witnesses of it. They'll, they'll witness the power. They'll witness everything that God is doing inside of your life. They'll see it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but ye shall receive power. After, the, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon me, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now listen to multiplication. Listen to the touch and the outpouring. This is what that power does. And I'll show you next week in, in a demonstrated way how this happens. You shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, at home, in Judea, in America, in Samaria, across the seas, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God said, what I'm going to do with you, it will be a fire, will be a flame, will be an anointing, will be a spreading because of the power of God inside of you. And all of a sudden... And he spoke these things, and they beheld, and he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they looked steadfastly towards heaven, and as he went up, behold, two men stood in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall also come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So you can imagine the next part, they're all standing there like this, and the, and the angels come out and like kick them and say, Dude, what are you doing? Oh, Jesus is gone. And they're like, it's not over. Did you not hear what he said? He's going to do what he said. Guys, we can't be those Christians like this. Jesus is coming soon. God says, that, that's, that's great, okay? <laughs> now go do what he said to do, to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost part of the earth. He said, go do it. And they return unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is uh, Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And and when they were come in, they went into an upper room. And there abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the brother of James. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. We go from the potential to the problem to the purpose, to the prayer. They left there. I said, guys, what do you think he meant by that? He said there is power that's going to come upon us. That anointed power that God, he promised. What do you think that looks like? I have no idea. Peter says, I don't know, but I want it. I want it too. Guys, how in the world are we going to go to this world that, that killed Jesus and now they're going to kill us? So you can imagine them going into this thing and this is, this is what happened is they, they were in one accord. The first thing that that verse says in there, they continued in one accord, verse 14, in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and mother and all the mother, but they were there. Let, the same principle applies. You, you, we've got to get this. Can God fellowship, concord, take up, share space with sin? No. So if you have it in your life, you have the Spirit of God, but He's not going to anoint you and touch you. He's not, he's not going to step into that. He's, he's sitting there going, get it out, get it out. I want to step in. I want any power. You don't want to work. Get it out. We get it out. God steps in. Okay, it's, it's seen over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Okay, that, that's evident in Scripture. 
It's the same thing in the church. Okay, you, you get, we are a body. And all of a sudden, God looks into the body of Christ and steps in and says, man, they're praying for revival and they want altars filled and they, they want a touch from God and they want their kids saved and they want the church to grow and they want influence in the city of Columbus and all these things that we want. None of them will happen without power. They'll never see Jesus without power. So imagine the Holy Spirit saying, hey, they're praying, and I know it's not this way, but just work with me. He opens the back door of the church and says, Lord, I'm not going in there to power anything. What's the matter? I can't fellowship. There's a division back there in that church. And those people over there, they gossip all the time. I'm not a gossiper. God is the God of truth, not gossip. And there's fornication down in that area. And if, if you go to that other area of the church, I'm, I'm telling you, I look back in there and there's a lot of strife. And there's people that walk out of there, they're just bickering the whole time. And there's envy and there's all this. God said, I cannot anoint or touch that body. God cannot. Because what fellowship hath God that is holy with unrighteousness? Let me tell you, as much as I preached about it as individuals, it's not about a man. It wasn't about Peter. It wasn't about James. It's not about Tony. It's not about Dave. It's not about any of you. It's about what God does in one accord when we get the junk out. We talk about revival in America and what God could do. It won't ever happen until all of a sudden we collectively as a church get our hearts right. We are connected over and over again, one accord. That word one accord means all the strands of the rope come together to make the unity of the strength in the middle. That's what God does. So, yes, until we can come together in righteousness and every one of us begin to say, I get the junk out and I get the sin out and all of us, do not ask God to step in. Because God will not touch, ordain, or bless that which is unholy. And they begin to pray. You pray because you want something. You pray because, Lord, this, I want this to be more than a promise. This is good. This is good. This is you. I can make it better. Watch this. Watch this. Dear God, I pray, forgive me of my sins coming into my life. Lord, I want you, not me. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want the forgiveness of sins in my life. Lord, I pray this because I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you'll come again and I believe that you'll save me right now. Amen. He's in you. He's in you. Something happens when the Holy Spirit of God says, can I do more with you than just that? God says, I want to take over every aspect of your life. I want to be in your heart and your mind and your parenting. I want to be in your attitude as you drive the work. I want to be in your mouth as you worship me. I want to be in your attitude when you talk to your wife. I want to be in that habit that you, you, you so have grudgingly tried to hold on to all this time. I want to be in your money. I want to be in every aspect of your life. Can I do a work? And when you sit there and say, God, come in. The Bible talks about a stirring of God. 
where the Word of God begins to work in every single one of us. And it's not me and it's not a pastor. It's the working of God. It's the Spirit of God. And God begins to say, Tony, that's what I've been asking for. And God begins to do something and He stirs up what is already in you. That's a whole lot better than it was before. It's already in you. It's already in you. God that is righteous and holy and powerful and conquered death, hell, and the grave. The God that saved you when you got out of drugs and alcohol. The God that forgave you from that abortion and that past mistake and the fornication. That God is in you right now. But we quench the Spirit of God and there is no working in the Spirit of God because we've not been stirred by God because our flesh is contrary, but we crucify our flesh. I want you, I want all of you, I want you taking over. God, make me chocolate milk today.